What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of QB1 Building the Modern Quarterback. This is Matt Miller, your host, joined today by uh, quarterback coach Quincy Avery, who uh, I've known for a long time. I consider him to be one of the best at what he does, especially in the, the private quarterback coach market. I think Quincy is incredibly smart. He has a great roster of clients that he's worked with. Uh, my man knows what he's doing. So we'll get to him in a moment. Up first, we got to pay the bills, as you know. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, BetMGM. You guys can enjoy your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using bonus code Miller, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. BetMGM offers parlay specials and boosted odds every day. Download the BetMGM app today or go to BetMGM.com to enter bonus code Miller Place your first wager risk-free up to $1,000. Now you're winning with the king of sports books. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Got to be 21 years of age or older to wager. Now, like I said, always a good time when we get to talk quarterbacks. Episode one really went through the history of the quarterback position. You know, what it was like when I started scouting, what it's been like even as I tried to educate myself on the quarterback position, going back to... You know, when I fell in love with the NFL draft in the early 90s, which I know makes me sound incredibly old, but going back to guys like Drew Bledsoe, we walked you through to 1999 with Donovan McNabb, and then the explosion and change of the quarterback position uh, with guys like Michael Vick and, and what we have now with great players like Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and, and the list goes on. Episode two, we talked to A.J. Highsmith, area scout with the Buffalo Bills. Really what he looks for at the quarterback position. How has that changed over time? You know, his six years in the NFL, what's changed? And, and really where they see the position going. I, I thought he did a great job of telling some stories about what scouting is like and, and some of his hits or misses. So if you missed episode one or episode two, they're free to check out right here in the Colin app. Or you can follow QB1 on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But like I said, uh, a great guest today. Quincy Avery, I'm excited just to chop it up with him. We we really haven't had a chance to since I was on the Bleacher Report podcast, Stick to Football. So, Quincy, welcome in, and thank you so much for, for taking some time today. Matt, what's going on? I appreciate you having me. Likewise. Just always good to talk to you, man. And uh, I'm excited to hopefully see you on the road uh, this offseason now that we can all kind of safely you know, get back together at, at some of these events. So, for people who aren't familiar with you, and they should be following you on Twitter, which is something I do and, and have done. It's at Quincy underscore Avery. It's always entertaining. And one reason that I love you, Quincy, is because you are honest. Sometimes I see you tweet and I'm like, I don't know if he should be that honest about that. But you are always, you keep it real with people, which I love. Uh, but what, for people who don't know uh, your backstory and kind of who you are, can you give us the, the quick version of really how you got to this level and, and some of the people that you worked with? Yeah, so I was a college quarterback that moved to wide receiver, got done doing that, went out to UCLA, was coaching under Norm Chow, Rick Neuheisel, cut my teeth there, um, moved out to Atlanta, started trying to train quarterbacks, wasn't very successful early on. Took me like a year to get my first client, it happened to be Joshua Dobbs, who's with the Steelers. He hooked me up with Elite 11. Elite 11, I met Deshaun Watson, started training him. And I've been able to, like, just keep the business growing. I'm fortunate to train guys like Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, um, Tyrod. I mean, just a good bit of NFL guys and loads and loads of college quarterbacks. So it's been amazing. 
Yeah, and that that list is is very impressive. You mentioned three players right there who were early picks in the first round. Deshaun Watson somehow falling to the twelfth pick overall. Trey Lance, Justin Fields. We we've seen you know just this past year how highly they were drafted. I actually want to talk to you about Justin Hurts though because I have I have a take that Jalen Hurts is the future of the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback position. And I get pushed back all the time for people who are like, they have three first-round picks. you got to draft a quarterback. I don't think there are any quarterbacks this year that you necessarily are like are, are better than Jalen Hurts. You have been there to watch his development from Nick Saban thought this dude was a running back, right? You've seen that <laughs> development. And so from that, and I love Nick. I know some of that was like, let's just get the best player on the field. He goes to Oklahoma. And I I remember texting you and being like, what did you guys do? Because his motion got so much looser and and just he looks like he looks like a quarterback. And so with Jalen, what has your process with him been like? It's been interesting to say the least. Um, Jalen's someone who's like slow to trust, but once he does, he buys all the way in. And I think that you can see him like benefit from those things. Um, so I mean, we had to like almost change his throwing motion completely after that year that Tua goes in and then he ends up not playing that uh, following next season. Like, it was so much self-work and lonely work with Jalen in terms of refining the things he did. And then you saw a much better or much improved version of him as a thrower at Oklahoma. And then I think from that offseason, from Oklahoma to getting drafted, like seeing him throw in at the Combine – you saw a bigger jump in terms of like mechanics, the ability for a quarterback to just deliver the football and throw the football the way it's supposed to be thrown than anybody I've seen in such a short period of time. And I'll say that I, I think that I helped give Jalen like some tools and tips, but that has so much to do with who he is as a person and, and how he was able to like really work through that. Well, and I think that's a huge part of it. As I talked about this on, on episode one of this podcast, of the things that I look for, so much of it is the intangible. It's not always like what you see on Saturdays, which is why, you know, it's it, regular season's over for college football. We all have our stack of quarterbacks. It's going to change between now and the last weekend in April because of we get to know who these guys are as people. And that's a, a huge factor into, into that grade of the guys that you work with. Has there been one that you're just like that you you saw it, you know, and you're like, oh my god, this guy's going to be special, even if it's someone who's in college right now, but a player that maybe you felt like you were a little early on? Hey, that's tough. I'm trying to think there. Um, probably Malik when he was at Auburn. Um, yeah, and he wasn't getting the opportunity to play and working. Cl- I mean, Malik worked really closely with with Sean McAvoy, who's on the QB Takeover staff, but. Seeing him, I was so confused at how someone that talented was not able to get on the field. Um, there was a day last year when he came out and threw with um, Trey Lance and, and Jamie, and they're getting ready for their combine and their, their draft preparation. And he was throwing the football. And those guys both looked at me, and these are guys who've worked with pretty much everybody I've worked with, and they've seen amazing talents at the quarterback position. And they were blown away with, like, how strong his arm was, the, the things that he could do with the football. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's a guy who didn't get to play at Auburn. was the third guy, and they essentially told him, like, you're not going to play quarterback. And he is, is someone that I know we'll talk a lot about over the next few months, you know, as he gets into, you know, his, uh, you know, draft preparation, the senior bowl, uh, something he's accepted an invite to. I'm very excited to see him throw in person. But I, I want to kind of go back to, 
your roots with this a little bit from the time that you you started doing this and I apologize I don't even know what year you started this so from the time mm-hmm. from the time you started until now what have you seen really change with the position because you know so much of, of what this podcast is about is the development of the quarterback position you know for me it's things like you don't have to be 62 anymore mobility is a gigantic plus now what have you seen change um so I probably started in 2013, and it's changed, like, in, in amazing ways. But I think that we see now, like, if you have a quarterback who doesn't have the ability to use their legs, get a first down um, when everything's covered, who completely prevents a defense be fr- be from running, like, cover two main, if you don't have a quarterback like that, it's too hard as a coordinator to scheme up an offense where you can just get guys open. So um, there's a premium on guys who can move their feet. And even someone we look at like a Trevor Lawrence, I don't think people initially look at him as somebody who can run the ball, but he is really good at his legs. And we won't see a guy go number one unless they can do some special things or be dynamic uh, on the ground. And we saw that last year with the priority of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance going one, two, three, all have different mm-hmm. levels of mobility, but they're all really mobile. And then Mac Jones goes 15. So like, yep. it, it definitely feels like uh, I think Bucky Brooks said this really well, and I've stolen it, and I've apologized to him for stealing it. The NFL right now, you have to be a scorer, not a shooter. And I feel like that's the perfect analogy to for how we look at the quarterback position. So when you're recruiting these guys to work with, or maybe you're at a point where they, they come to you now, right? They're, they're looking for you instead. But is that something you look at of like how how good of an NFL prospect can you be are the tools all, all there in the toolbox? And then, you know, how much can you improve for them? Yeah, and I think one of the big things about, like, what I do is so much of the things I do is work on off-schedule throws. Like, if you – everybody should be able to make throws from the pocket, put their foot in the ground. We teach that a little bit. But I think when people see, like, the things that we're working on, it's so much like getting off the spot and still being able to make those throws. So I, I think it's really hard for me as a quarterback trainer to work with somebody – who's not capable of that. And and I don't think that it would it would, would help them out in the long run to even work with me. Like there's other guys who might be able to help you do that. But I want guys who fit a certain type in which I can help them maximize their game. And I think those guys now look for me as their quarterback trainer, quarterback coach, or somebody they work with privately because they know I'm gonna help them do all those things. I, as you said that, I had a vision of watching these guys I call it, they all try to be Patrick Mahomes. You know, they're all, it's all the off platform that you're talking about. Is that something that you've seen where it's like, I remember when Odell made that crazy one handed catch on Monday night football. And at the time, mm-hmm. at the time, my brother was a, a high school coach and he coached receivers. And he was like, man, every one of these guys now is trying to make the one handed catch. Like two handed catches are gone. I feel like with Mahomes now, we have so many guys who want to almost emulate what he does. Is that something you see or like, how do you coach that out of someone if they're like, well, I'm, I want to be like Pat, I got to throw underhand and, you know, left-handed and rolling crazy. Or, or do you see guys more that they get it, that they can't do that? Um, I think everybody thinks that they can do a little bit of that. But, <laughs> right. um, felt, like you got to be able to play within structure too, right? If you can't go to, on third and seven and work your eyes through a progression and be successful there, then you'll never get the opportunity to do the Pat Mahomes stuff. Um, so it's all about being able to, yeah, we're talking about scores. Like you got to be able to make, take the layups from there, there, right? If we get an open shot, we got to be able to hit it. But when it's time to make those special plays, 
Like that's what we want to have. But yeah, we see it all the time. Guys always thinking they, they should do some things that are probably outside of their pay grade, right? Like you just don't have that capability. So let's not even try and go there. Well, and it's like, it's probably not just Pat, like Aaron Rodgers, you know, did a lot of it beforehand as well. But it, it, it definitely to me feels mm-hmm. like Mahomes has made it more common maybe to where uh, I'm not trying to throw Drew Locke under the bus, but I remember being at the senior bowl, watching him try to like be Patrick Mahomes basically. And it's just like, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't what you do. Like it's not who you are. Um, so I, I, I do find that to be uh, very interesting with the, the off, off platform stuff. Does it feel to you like that has become really a prerequisite to playing the position at a high level? Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't watch NFL football um, as early as you. Like, I didn't start watching that until a little bit later. But the way these guys move, the, the the defenses that are there, the limited space in the pocket, like, if you can't do things like off-platform where your feet just aren't working towards the target, right, where you're not in a direct line to where you want to throw, um, those instances are few and far between in the NFL. Like, you're not going to get many just clean pocket, pocket throws. So to play at the highest level – you absolutely must be able to make throws from all types of situations, um, whether you're feeding in the correct spot, whether they're not, right? So, yeah, to, to play big boy football or football in the NFL or to be like the face of a franchise, you've got to be able to play um, all, all off schedule. And you mentioned that's a huge part of, of your off-season training with these guys. I've been fortunate enough to see some of the stuff that you do. What What would you feel like – are some of the drills or processes that you can work through with players to be like, okay, like we're going to take you from, you know, the, the classic, you know, pocket quarterback to, you know, someone like Malik Willis, who's obviously a great athlete and has a huge arm. How do you start working with him to be better off schedule? Um, so the first, so I kind of have like, I'll just tell you about the steps in which we operate when we train. Right. First, you have to be able to do any movement within, like, structure. So let's say we're working on, like, working your left and making a throw, right? First, we start, you know that you're going to work to your left and make this throw to this exact spot, right? Now you work that. Now the receiver starts to move. And now we got to be able to make that throw with the receiver moving. But we know where he's moving. Then we add randomness in terms of now we work that movement. The receiver can work anywhere, but you still got to make this throw. And then we work all the way to the level of you don't know exactly how you're moving, but we want to be able to work that movement that we just worked on in and the receivers running at a random area, random direction. So we just add all these like levels of variability in to make things a little bit tougher each rep they go through. As you're talking about that, I'm remembering being at the BYU Pro Day and mm-hmm. watching Zach Wilson make that throw that I felt like everyone lost their minds over. And then I know like Justin did it at his pro day. Trey did it at like his second pro day. Mm-hmm. How much of that are you guys preparing for? I know you didn't work with Zach Wilson, so you can't maybe maybe you know what John Beck did to, to prep him for that. But I know with your two, you know, top prospects last year, I actually think, and I would love your opinion on this too. I'm asking you two questions at once because I'm a terrible journalist. Mm-hmm. I thought Justin's pro day was the most impressive of anyone last year. But how much are you guys like prepping for the you know, hype sports center type throw from those pro days. Yeah. Those are just throws that we end up working on throughout the period of throughout the process. You're like, Oh, that's the one you like. All right. We're going to build that into the future. Trey actually had one of those 
in his first pro day, but one of the scouts left their computer laptop on the, on the field. He steps on it and he kind of underthrows it. <laughs> it's still a good ball, but if you go back and watch his pro day, you oh. know, he had to throw two. But <laughs> we're working that. So when so we get done with uh, what is it? The combine, right? And then everybody works, gets back to to wherever they're training at. From that day moving forward, the only thing that you're working on is your pro day script. So we know everything that's going on. I know how I'm going to move you. You know how you're going to get moved. Like a lot of the things that people see in a pro day that look really, really cool, it's so rehearsed and everybody understands the movement exactly what it's going to be. Like to me, as someone who's really in it, it's kind of less impressive, but we still have to paint a picture with, with pro day. And it's, it's wild to me as someone who like, I came up in this business considering myself like an evaluator. Now, obviously, with my job changes up, uh, you know, I'm playing in with the masses more. It's like, hey, this was exciting. Let's break down a pro day on SportsCenter tonight. Do you like I try to tell people, like, should we put a lot of stock into a pro day? Probably not. But we're all human and we're all prone to like biases and excitement. Is that how much stock do you put into a pro day on the other side of it? Basically. Very little. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I have to, so we got to like. There's a couple of things I have to think about and when I'm building a pro day script, right? What do teams want to see? How can I play it safe for the most part so that the completion percentage is really, really high? Um, and then how can I throw enough sizzle in there that like the Daniel Jeremiah's or whoever's covering it on whatever network that it's on that day um, can say enough good things about it that they don't think we just made it a cakewalk. Like how do I make it look difficult enough to make sure that um, when we get done, we completed about 60 of 65 throws and did enough stuff that looked kind of difficult. Yeah. And that's the game has changed, you know, because there is, <laughs> there's coverage, you know, we, people like me get sent to BYU to watch Zach Wilson do a pro day, which feels like that, that really never happened, you know, before the last mm-hmm. couple of years uh, of these five guys that, that, you know, you mentioned your, your kind of top tier players. You have some who aren't playing this year. Deshaun's not playing this year. Uh, Trey Lance is really not playing this year. How do you keep those guys engaged and, and how involved are you with them throughout the season since they do have quarterback coaches on their own teams as well? Yeah, so I'll talk about Trey first. Trey, me and him are really involved. We talk probably four days a week. So we're always on the phone. You know, it's difficult as a rookie quarterback, especially when we haven't seen him in as many packages um, as of late as we did early on in the season. So just making sure he's in good spirits. But I think, like, anybody who's heard about Trey or heard about the way he works understands, like, he's going to do the right thing no matter what in terms of just being locked in, um, being dialed in, and ready to go in when his time gets called. Um, I'm hoping that it's sooner rather than later, but who knows. And then with Deshaun, uh, a year unlike any other, right, uh, as we all know. But um, making sure that he has, like, a game plan every week in terms of what he needs to be working on, um, because we're dialing it up right now. Like, this is a year that he, he didn't play. But we, we got a plan come February in terms of, like, making sure when he comes back. Um, and I, I know people have, all have their own opinions, but Deshaun being the best quarterback in the NFL. And I think that, like, his last year playing, they didn't win a lot of games. But if you cut on the tape, there was no quarterback who played better than him. And I think that we can see an improved version of that. I'm going to ask you a question you probably don't want to answer. Uh, he still wants traded, right? I don't think anything's changed there. <laughs> 
yeah, I'll leave that alone. But yeah, I'm pretty confident. You know, we haven't talked about it, so I won't say anything. Yeah, I don't need David texting either of us, being like, "Guys, yeah, come on." (laughs) Yeah, I try to stay on his good side. He's like the he's the king of the NFL that that no one talks about. So. if you listen to David, we're just having he can fun. Make a lot of stuff move. Yeah, <laughs> you can, he can make a lot of stuff move behind the scenes that a lot of people aren't aware of. Exactly. Exactly. Well, man, uh, thank you so much for your time. I, I promised I'd keep you 20 minutes today. So I, I appreciate it. You're doing great things. Uh, I have one more question for you because I saw it come up today. I almost forgot about this. The best high school quarterback ever. You said it's <laughs> Kyler Murray. So I'm with you that like I, I've seen people say best quarterback ever to come out of Texas, which like that. That by itself is pretty damn high praise, right? Like to be the best high school quarterback out of Texas. I saw you tweet today. He's the best high school quarterback ever, regardless of state. Yeah, stand by that statement 100%. I, I don't think people understand just how good he was. And it wasn't just like he was good one year or two years. He went 43 and 0. Like he never lost a game. <laughs> Put up unreal stats every time he went out there. And not only did he do that, he was, he was the most dynamic runner on the field every time he went out there. And we all know how well he throws. His dad was like his private quarterback instructor, so he was so polished. He was as good as he gets. And still, was a good enough baseball player to be drafted there as well? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm, I'll be honest. I was slow on the Kyler train because I've been told – all along that year at Oklahoma was like, hey, he's going to play baseball. Like, don't worry about scouting him. Like, people at the school were like, yeah, don't bother. I'm like, okay, not going to bother. <laughs> I remember I was in New York with uh, my guy Connor Rogers from Bleach Report, and we had met some people who were in town, and one of them was like, Kyler's coming out, and he'll be the first pick in the draft. And we were like, what? Like, what? Really? <laughs> They're like, oh, yeah. Like, he's, he's that good. And by the way, he's coming out. And like, we broke the news the next day. It was just like, all right. That's how this business works, but man, he's yeah. and he's having a <laughs> hell of a year. And I, I'm, I'll be honest, like I didn't see him ever being this good, but the dude is talented. He's so talented. I just hope he can start staying healthy, but he'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. He's young. He'll figure it out. Thank you again for your time, Quincy. You're the best. Again, follow him on Twitter at Quincy underscore Avery. If you want to learn about like how to coach quarterbacks, how quarterbacks play the position, I, I think you're the best in the game on Twitter at breaking that stuff down, especially. So thank you again for your time. Yeah. Have a great one, Quincy. Uh, I do want to give people a quick update. uh, If you're sticking around after the interview with Quincy, there's been some, I guess, movement in the draft world at the quarterback position. Uh, So I just want to do a quick update. uh, Just a couple minutes here on kind of where the quarterback position shakes out as far as the 2022 NFL draft. So we have the senior bowl coming up uh, in early February. Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, Malik Willis from Liberty, and Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky have all accepted their senior bowl invite. So we know we'll see those three players in Mobile, Alabama, where I will be there live covering the senior bowl with my guys, Mellow and Big Country. What we're waiting on right now, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback from Pitt, who I I could share a little breaking news with you. Kenny's going to be on this podcast with me next week. So we'll get a chance to talk to him about a Heisman candidate season. We get to talk to him about hopefully we'll know by then that decision to play in the senior bowl or not. So we're waiting on Kenny Pickett. Hey, maybe he'll break the news on the show with us. If he's playing in the senior bowl or not, we're also waiting on Matt Corral uh, from Ole Miss who uh, has not officially declared for the draft or technically declared for the draft, but he did come out and say that uh, that last home game at Ole Miss would be his last game there. So he's 
essentially uh, declared. He is a four-year player. Uh, I am not aware if he's graduating in, in this December. That would make him senior bowl eligible, obviously. Again, four-year player, so we're not surprised uh, by the fact that he's declaring. Same for Sam Howell. Uh, I think he's another name we're really waiting to hear. Sam, only a three-year player. So he's one of those guys that would have to graduate as a junior to be senior bowl eligible. I have heard that he's on track to graduate. So I think there's a good chance we see Sam Howell at the Senior Bowl. Uh, and then Carson Strong from Nevada, obviously a senior player, uh, very talented, big, strong arm. So I think we we might know the six quarterbacks. Sometimes there's seven, sometimes there's eight. But I think we might know the six quarterbacks that we're going to see in Mobile with Kenny Pickett, Desmond Ritter, Matt Crowd, Malik Willis, uh, Sam Howell. Carson Strong uh, and Bailey Zappi uh, would be in there as number seven. So there's, uh, if, if Matt Crowell's not eligible, I, I think we could see those. Um, a lot of people have been asking, where do you draft a quarterback in this class? And I, I think this is such a difficult uh, conversation to have. And it's something that, that Quincy and I talked about a little bit is that quarterbacks are evaluated so much from January to April 28th because you get to know the person, the aptitude how much they can handle you know, on and off the field. And we're going to see a shift there. I think right now, uh, for me personally, Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral are, are kind of dueling for that top quarterback spot, just given how well they both played this year, both ascending players who had their best seasons uh, this past year. So that's very exciting. I still like Desmond Ritter. I wish he were a little more accurate. I think ball placement is an issue at times. We'll see what Alabama does with that in the college football playoffs. Uh, but I also I think with Sam Howell, we've we could almost go full circle with this guy who before the year it was really him and Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma were oh these are the top two quarterbacks. Sam Howell came out and had a terrible Week One performance uh, where he just did not look like himself. Uh, they did not look like themselves. North Carolina did not, and I, I feel like that loss to Virginia Tech where he threw three interceptions, everyone just kind of wrote him off. Well, he only threw six interceptions the rest of the way, you know, despite throwing for 23 touchdowns and adding another 11 on the ground. So Sam Howell, no, he's not quarterback one in this class uh, where he people thought maybe he would end up. But he is you know, competing to be in that group of five or six that we could see drafted very, very early. So right now, if I had to stack it, I would say Matt Corral is my number one. Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter. Uh, and then I think after that, you, that's where you start to have the conversation about Carson Strong and Sam Howell, then a little bit of a gap. And that's when you get Bailey Zappi from Western Kentucky, who had a, a great year as well. Uh, so it, it's not a top-heavy quarterback class. We're not going to see five in the top 15 like last year. But I, I do think we'll see five or six players come out of this class that are expected to be early starters in the NFL. Right, that is our show for today. Uh, stay tuned as I'm working on this schedule. Like I said, we'll have Kenny Pickett next week, expecting to have a couple more uh, quarterback coaches and trainers, uh, people like Quincy Avery, uh, on in future episodes. Some of my fellow uh, folks in the media, like Dan Orlovsky, uh, Bruce Feldman, are uh, going to try to get those guys on here with us as well. But thank you for subscribing. Uh, don't forget our presenting sponsor, BetMGM. Use that promo code Miller uh, to get $1,000 uh, first bet. Uh, and then also thanks to our friends at Colin for hosting this show exclusively before it hits Apple podcast and Spotify. So if you haven't already subscribe and follow right here on the Colin app, we'll talk to you guys real soon.